Good morning and welcome to the Dance to Learn podcast with your host, Jessica Strong. The Dance to Learn podcast is the place for dance educators and studio owners to get the best dance teacher resources, tips, and advice to help you dance, learn, and grow right along with your students. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, dance teacher friends. It's Jessica here with Dance to Learn, and welcome to another episode of the Dance to Learn podcast. I am super excited today. I have Allison with me from Tots on Target. If you aren't following them on Instagram, you need to be. I love their Instagram account, and I am so excited that she is here with me. We're going to be talking about child development, uh, sort of some delays that we might see in the development of some of our kids, and I'm sure she's going to have some really awesome, fabulous tips on how maybe some exercises we can do to sort of uh, correct maybe some of the del- delays that we've been seeing in some of our students. So I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Why don't you tell my listeners super fast who you are and what you guys do uh, over there at Tots on Target? Sure. So my name is Allison Mel. I am a physical therapist by trade. And my partner, Mary, is an OT. And we joined together because we felt like in our treatment sessions with, you know, preschool school age kids, that really parents were lacking a lot of information about child development. You know, they're at the point that they're sending their kids off to school and they, you know, they're worried about learning and they're, you know, focused on friends and all these different things. And there's, there was definitely a lack of, you know, education and knowledge around so many skills that kids need in all of their environments, right? Whether it is school, it is social, it's on the playground, or it's in extracurricular activities like dance. And that's where we started. We were both in a preschool kindergarten setting. And then we decided we're going to leap into the world of Instagram and start there and create more content to reach um, parents. And actually, we were also really interested in reaching teachers as well, because you know, they're the ones who see these kids in a lot of those environments. Um, And then what we also really decided to delve more into was actually backing it up and going back to the baby stages, because that's really where that foundation starts. Obviously, you know, it's really in these baby, baby steps, you know, the baby milestones, where a lot of the skills that kids need later on are starting out. And over the past many years, there has been a huge change in development um, from babies and through this, you know, preschool, kindergarten, early grade school age range. Um, And so we said, you know, yes, we can always go and help those kids who are behind. And, you know, we have the tactics to do that. But what about also educating parents about starting off on the best foot possible and giving them the tools and the knowledge to ask the right questions and to, um, you know, know when something looks off or know when they need to seek more help or, you know, look for different resources like on Instagram or elsewhere. Um, so that's what we really focused at at Tots on Target. Um, we created a baby course, Babies on the Move, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, really focusing on this baby zero to um, 12 month development. And we also created an online community 
where parents can ask questions and we, you know, Mary and I and other professionals can jump on there and offer really important tips that these parents need and a real understanding of child development. So we're just continuing to grow that. And so that's where we're at with Tough on Target. Yeah, no, I love, I follow you guys on Instagram and I did take your babies on the move course, which is why I wanted to talk to you because I've done a lot of courses. I try to stay, you know, I try to keep myself educated on things and um, I did your course and I found it so helpful and it was so professionally done. And the information was just enough information where I felt like I understood everything and I didn't feel super overwhelmed because I don't have any experience in physical therapy or occupational therapy. I just teach dance, but it's important for me to understand child development um, because I am working with these kids at different stages of their development. So for me, that's important. And I just thought that course was amazing. So at the end, I do want to share how my listeners can go if they want to go sign up for the course Mm -hmm. themselves, because yeah, I thought it was great. And uh, I'll be sure to share it with with everyone too. Um, So yeah, so one part of that course that I sort of wanted to chat with you about, and I guess we can get into that as our starting topic, um, but you have this section on crawling. And for me, we do a lot of crawling in our dance classes because I recognize how important it is, but we do more advanced crawling. We're gonna be, I get kids when they're closer to three, four and five. So we're gonna be doing more bear crawls, more crab walks, which are even harder. And then we're gonna be doing them in different obstacles and different pathways. Um, But you had a couple of like red flags that might, people might want to be aware of um, when it comes to crawling because there's a right way, I guess, and a wrong way for our little ones to be crawling. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Absolutely. And it's such an important topic actually also because so many pediatricians tell parents, as long as baby can get from point A to point B, the method doesn't matter. Um, And it's gone so far as the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics has taken crawling as a milestone out completely. I mean, it's not even a milestone anymore. Um, So this is actually a real problem because We'd love to say the quality doesn't mean anything because that's definitely, I mean, as long as the baby can get from A to B, great. They're happy. They can get where they want to go. Perfect. You know, and, and really, unfortunately, they're not realizing the long lasting effects of that. So again, there's, there's actually two different problems that might come from crawling. One is a baby skipping crawling, crawling entirely. That's one. And the other is a a baby crawling atypically. So that means like a full on army crawler, this like inchworm crawler and um, a butt scooter and what we call like a a hitch crawler or a three point crawler where like the leg is up and they're kind of doing this like little shuffle thing, um, not a true four point crawl. So I'm gonna start first with not crawling at all and then going into, um, you know, these atypical patterns. When a baby doesn't crawl at all, they are missing such an opportunity for upper body weight bearing. Because if you think about it, crawling is the last time a baby or any person is going to really use those arms for weight bearing purposes. Eventually when we stand upright, there's no need for us to use our arms in that way. And even when kids are hanging on the monkey bars, you know, those are in small spurts. And this weight bearing opportunity for the back, for the shoulders, all through the arms, even through the hands 
is really only going to be, um, that opportunity is only going to really exist in this uh, amount of time in this baby stage for crawling. So if a baby skips that altogether, that opportunity is unfortunately really lost at this stage. Um, and so we are missing that opportunity. So what we will see as a result of that is a, um, a child will have difficulty with upper body strength, will mm -hmm. have difficulty in the classroom with a lot of fine motor skills, um, writing, writing endurance, crawling, all those types of things. They might also have difficulty with things like climbing monkey bars and climbing up a ladder, things like that, because they missed that opportunity for weight bearing. So that's number one. And the atypical crawling patterns um, are really a red flag because we're like, if a baby's gonna crawl, the most efficient way to crawl is a four point perfect quadruped crawl. That's the mm -hmm. fastest way to go. So if a baby's not doing that, why not? What is lacking there? Because those other ways are not the most efficient ways. Um, and it is natural if a baby is following that typical progression as they should be, that crawling would come after sitting and then walking. That is the way babies are created. And so if they're not doing that, the question is why? And I've never treated a baby that's had one of those crawling patterns that I've said, there's nothing wrong. I don't know, everything's fine. They just happen to be crawling. There's always some reason, whether it's upper body weakness that they can't push through the arms to sustain that um, position, hip weakness, um, core weakness, it's often come in a, in a combination there. Um, there could be residual effects from a torticollis, which is this, the tightening of this muscle here. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a head tilt with a, with a turn. And even when it's treated, it, it might not be fully treated. We can have some residual effects through the trunk that causes difficulty with that four-point crawl. Um, if a baby has a tongue lip tie, those, that can also happen. So there's always a reason that a baby is not four-point crawling if they are crawling, if, if we're seeing those atypical patterns. So our, our job is to explain to parents that you need to pay attention to those things and right. really seek out consult. Now, um, I'm just gonna go one step further. We can continue on talking a lot, I know. Um, we can't prevent a baby from not crawling. If a baby is starting to walk, we can't go backwards, but we can, so much what you do is integrate that through play. Um, so that's what we would say, you know, you can't tell, you know, make a baby not walk. Um, there are babies that sometimes just skip that, but um, then we would try to integrate crawling in other, in other ways. Sure. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. If a baby, um, is it bad for a baby to skip crawling altogether and just go to walking or like, what are, could that cause some issues later on when they are three, four and five? Yeah. So, so um, in, in similar to um, how I said, really, it's a lot of fine motor um, okay. control and all that really stems from crawling. They're, the palms are really getting that weight bearing. They're opening up um, a lot of wrist extension. Like when you hold a pencil, and Mary would be the one to describe this a little bit more as an OT, but I've learned from her, so it's, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but that wrist extension to color and write. Um, really a lot of that comes from when they're crawling, when their wrist is in that position. There's no other time they're going to get that. Um, all their shoulder strength and all the proximal strength that we would talk about, all that's happening here really comes from that tummy time that eventually progresses into crawling. Um, we also, depth perception is really a big area of development during crawling. Hand-eye coordination, 
um, you know, as a baby's crawling, they're looking up, they're looking down, they're looking up, they're looking down. Mm -hmm. We're getting a lot of that eye movement during crawling. Um, so all these different things, these different components, um, reciprocal patterns, both sides of the body coordinating together, upper body, lower body, that reciprocal movement, that crossing midline of the brain. I know I'm throwing out a lot of technical terms, um, but all of this is happening during crawling. And when a baby skips that, there could be catch up to play, you know, um, it, it's, it's possible. Yes. Some babies, you know, might be fine, but we typically find that crawling is really an important, important milestone to achieve and to be a part of for several months. And if not, then we really try to incorporate that later on. Okay, great. So I, I really wanted to ch chat with you because, um, as a dance teacher, I've been teaching dance for 20 years if not more at this point, so a long time. It's what I do. I've always been a dancer and a dance teacher. Um, and I get kids, well, I now teach kids younger. I do a mommy and me class, which is 18 months to three. Um, and they're usually all walking at that point. I don't have anybody that can't walk by the time they get to dance class. So I get them after the crawling stage and all of that. And now they're walking on their own two feet. Um, but I have noticed, especially with my older kids, my three, fours, and fives, I have a simple rule <laughs> as a dance teacher. And that is, if I have a kid, if they are three, they should be able to balance for three seconds on one leg. If they're four, four seconds. If they're five, five seconds. And I try to do activities for them, a lot of balancing activities that help them um, like push that. So if they're three, by the end of their third year, I want them to be balancing for four seconds so we can just continue to do more advanced things. But in the past, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years even, I've noticed that kids older, fours and fives, they can't balance. And I know balancing is more vestibular, um, but more of the vestibular sense. I don't know how much crawling comes from that, but I wanted to talk to you about some of these things that I've noticed personally as a dance teacher, and I've seen other dance teachers mention as well, like, why are these kids so uncoordinated anymore? Um, so I don't know if you have any insight on what could be causing these uh, deficiencies in their ability to balance if they're not getting enough vestibular stimulation, and if you have maybe any tips or activities or exercises that we could do as dance teachers to sort of get them back on track with that important yeah. skill. Because if they can't yeah. balance, they can't do other things. <laughs> and, and you, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the vestibular sense, which is mm -hmm. the sense that is responsible for balance. It's housed in the inner ear. And that's what you know our, our head writing reflex comes from. Our, you know, keeping our body in an upright position is mm -hmm. what that vestibular sense is all about. Or if you're on a subway, I mean, I'm New Jersey, right outside of New York. So, you know, if you're sitting on the subway and it's jerking all around, the, your ability to stand still and not topple over on that subway is what that, that's, that vestibular sense is doing for us. Um, so you're, you're spot on with, you know, balance and vestibular is, you know, one and the same. Um, so a few things. And um, this isn't to say anybody right now is doing anything wrong, but there is, are definitely trends that we are seeing and we have an idea of why. Um, and this is something we do talk a little bit about babies in Babies on the Move. Um, so, you know, a few different things. One is, and, and this is actually something that we're not going to be able to change. Um, 
things have gotten very, very safe over the past few decades. And obviously, I say this a lot on Instagram because otherwise I'll get a lot of backlash, but safety is the most important, right? We're not looking to cause head injuries. We're not, we're not looking for any of those things. And something like the car seat, for example, is, has become safer and safer over the last several decades, right? When our grandparents were sitting in the, in the cars, they, there were no car seats. They were standing in the back seat or in the front seat or on the hood of the car. Who knows? But, um, but today, car seats are made stronger and sturdier than ever before. So if you even think of something like the car and all the shaking and the vibration that would happen in a car normally, now that car seat is absorbing so much impact. That baby feels nothing. Now, very important. This is not to say that we should get rid of car seats and go back to sitting on the hood or the roof of the car. Absolutely not. We need to make sure that safety comes before all. But we also have to recognize when you say what has changed, right? What has changed have been changes. And so something like the car seat, uh, again, I say, and I, I use the car seat very specifically because I will walk into the mall. I will walk into a supermarket and those babies are in those car seats because now the car seat comes out and goes into your stroller and comes out and it's in the car and it comes out and it's now the, the you know, the um, place to sleep and you're going for a walk with it. And it's, uh, these car seats are too usable. And, um, and they absorb so much shock and impact that baby is getting no motion. And it really does start that young. So um, I give that as one example of containers that we've been, that have developed over the course of the last many years um, that just more and more come out. A nice, wonderful place to put your baby that's extremely safe, that your baby can't move, that the baby's sitting there very nicely and looking around and can't really move so much. Um, and we all, as parents, feel like we need those things, you know, it's whether it's for safety or for entertainment. Um, but we end up putting our babies in a lot of things, doing that station rotation throughout the day. Um, right. I, you know, we have the baby swing, which goes back and forth, which is a little bit of a similar side to side, but it's controlled, right? It's, it's the same motion over and over again. Um, the bouncy seats, extra saucers, you know, different things that we're just doing this station rotation. Um, and I really say car seats, I find it the primary one that I kind of have a problem with. I think that car seats should be left in the car. It's a safety, um, it, it's a safety feature. It's a safety um, uh, piece of equipment. And so if we're not using it for that purpose, we should leave it you know, aside and really look to give our babies that experience to um, have those vestibular opportunities to feel some movement, to feel um, vibrations and some shaking and some rocking and all those really important experiences that our babies need. Now, even beyond just those first few months, um, uh, well, and then I would say, you know, because babies are in these containers a lot more, they're not spending as much time on the floor in open floor yes. areas. Um, and so they're not getting those vestibular experiences on their own as much either. They're not having as many opportunities to roll around, even if they do it, if they're not doing it as much as probably previous generations and, and all of that. So we're definitely seeing that trend. Um, and, and so this is really having long lasting effects. When we start early on without these very, very important foundational experiences, we're, we're seeing that in older kids, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's probably just better for them to just carry 
their, their child and in their arms and, or have them sitting maybe in a, I don't even know if you, if the, do the grocery stores even allow you to put your kid in the grocery cart? I, I mean, I sit in the grocery carts all the time as a kid, but maybe we can't even do right. that. Uh, babies like sitting up babies. Yes. But like, and I even did this with my kids because you can't go grocery shopping. So you take your car seat out of the car and you put it in the shopping cart and all your groceries have to fit on just, you know, the front part because the car seat is taking up the whole thing. Um, but that's why I say the second your baby can sit up, car seat stays in the car. We have to be functioning adults. We have to be able to go to the supermarket. I totally get that. Sure. So I'm not saying, you know, don't go, you know, take your baby out who's not sitting yet and just plop them in the, in the, um, the shopping cart. Obviously, safety is an important thing, and I'm not disregarding that. Um, but we just, I think the more mindful we are about it, making up for those times that a baby might be in the car seat or some other container, and we're being mindful about that, that can have a lot of lasting effects in the opposite direction. Sure. So what are some other things? Balance is something that I've noticed just as a dance teacher. Um, are there any other red flags that maybe as dance teachers that we might see in three, four, and five-year-olds to know, okay, that's from, you know, we need to work on their, their vestibular system. We need to do a lot more twirling or crawling or whatever we need to do. What, yeah. what would be some... Yeah, so some red flags. I, and I think that this is such a good question. I hear of so many kids who are literally falling out of nowhere. They're just standing there and then they just fall. And their parents will say this, like my kid's just falling all the time. Um, I usually ask them to go check for fluid in the ears. I think that that has to, we have to rule out anything medical first, always. Um, but there are so many um, toddler, preschoolers, kindergartners who will be sitting in the chair or they're just standing and they're falling all over the place. Mm -hmm. Another um, another thing that I think is, again, I say red flag softly, I'm gonna say like an orange flag, is sure. when they constantly need to touch something to keep themselves um, to keep themselves centered. So some kids, they, they don't have any body awareness because uh, again, they've missed some of these experiences or again, some kids are just born with certain um, tendencies or inclinations or um, you know, um, things that you know, are, are difficult for some more than others. But if they constantly need to be touching their friends next to them or they need to be touching the wall or they're, that's again, a flag goes up to say, why does this kid always need to have a hand on something? Is that really to give them that, that grounding, that sensor to know where their body is in space. And that's really the proprioceptive sense that comes into play. Um, there's a, a lot of combination there between the proprioceptive and the vestibular senses. Um, but that would certainly be a flag that goes up of what's going on in this child's sensory system that the child can't just stand without mm -hmm. touching everything around them. That's, yeah. that's definitely something. And um. You know, just to add, actually, I think that this is a combination going back. I was talking about, you know, car seats and all those things for babies. But even go on to say for older children, our playgrounds have gotten so safe. Mm -hmm. Like those, these kids, you know, okay, baby stage is behind us now, right? We can't go back in time. You have a three-year-old in your dance class, a four-year-old in your dance class. You can't go back and tell the parents, okay, you know what? You really shouldn't have had that car seat out all the time. You're, you can't go back right. in time. What we can only do is work forward, and there are always ways to do that. Um, but we also have to look at these experiences that these kids are having on the playground. Everything is so safe. They go up a ladder and down a slide, and that's basically it. 
They are like not even doing tire swings anymore. I've seen a lot of playgrounds take swings out altogether. Um, there's like no danger on the playgrounds anymore. And kids are not learning to trust their bodies. Um, so I, I think that when you see kids who are again, falling out of nowhere, constantly touching other people, another flag that goes up for me is when kids can't get in and out of positions very easily. You, they just have no ability to either watch an instruction or hear it, follow their friends around them. And they can't just seem to get their body, even if a simple motion into that position also. They, they just don't have that body awareness, that motor planning, um, all those abilities to follow those visual directions and internalize them into how to use their body in the same way. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's all really great information because I do have, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I also have kids and I don't know what this could be coming from, but I have kids that when they stand up and even just walking, I can tell it's not all working together, right? They're not coordinated movements. I almost feel like their toes are more going inward, more pigeon-toed. I can tell their cores are really weak. Um, leg muscles don't look as developed as they used to. And it's just, it's going into their entire system. It's not just like one little thing sometimes. Sometimes it's the whole child yeah. I'm noticing just and clumsy. Like, oh gosh, like I don't even know where to begin with this child, right? Like I want to <laughs> yeah. help you dance, but like I don't even know where to start, right? Yeah. And I, and as a dance teacher, it's hard because I can't hold their hand anymore when they're three, four, and five. They really need to be able to learn how to do these things on their own. And it's hard for us because we only get them for 45 minutes to an hour every week. So I feel and like in a class setting, more, right? Mm -hmm. And in a class yeah. setting. So you're really dealing, it's not a one on one where you can, lot. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I totally hear that. Um, I, I mean, a few different things um, that I've found to be helpful. One is um, always having that child not necessarily be um, in the front, but not the back of the class either, somewhere in the middle so that they can follow around, you know, with their friends. And I'm sure as an experienced dance teacher, you know how to do these yeah. things. Um, but I think that that's very important so that they're getting that cueing. I also find being very, very specific with the parts of the body, right? Okay. Like, and at this age, they don't necessarily know their right hand, but we, but those are things that we have to actually work on now that we didn't have to use to work on. What is the right hand? What is the left hand? Like sure. doing hokey pokey, going sure. back to those basics, right? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. We need to be focusing on some of these basics, building in that body awareness for these kids so that they are like, oh, right, that's my right hand. So that when you as a dance teacher call out, raise your right hand or, you know, step with your left foot, when they're still thinking about that and sure. they're now two steps behind the kid that's in front of them, they're overwhelmed and it's, they feel frustrated and you feel frustrated because how do you run a class like that? Um, so I think when, when we're seeing these trends, I think beginning some of these classes with those very basics, going back to the beginning of naming the body parts, you know, again, I love hokey pokey. I love head, shoulders, knees and toes. I think those are really, really good, especially for our three and four year olds. Like they like, eat this stuff up. They're like, I know where my head is. Um, they really do love it. And I think it's really important. I think also, I talk about this a lot on Instagram. Yoga is really such a fantastic tool. And I was never a, a yoga person, you know, in my childhood life, teenage, adult, I never was into yoga until I actually took a yoga class. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, I really love it. But 
And, and then for me, you know, it's a whole different story. When I use it for treatment sessions, I find it so useful. One is children today do not have the ability to stand still. So I talked before about kids falling over. That's actually like even a completely, it can be similar, but it could also be a completely different thing than just being able to stand still. And that's because um, we use our muscles in all different ways, right? We contract our muscles, we slowly relax our muscles, and then we hold our muscles in a, in a certain position. And that takes mm-hmm. effort alone. And standing still requires effort. And these mm-hmm. kids have not used their muscles in that way. So many of them, if you actually really hone it down and you do these yoga positions, you talked about standing on one foot, right? So a tree pose or a downward dog pose or anything where they have to hold a position for 10 to 20 seconds, you mm-hmm. can immediately see which kids are using momentum to move and which kids actually have the strength to do it. Um, that will break it down right away. Sure. And you will see, because sometimes you think, wait, this kid is running circles around during you know, open playtime or before the class starts. You know, They look strong, they're active, they're all over the place. And all of a sudden the class starts and they can't just like stand still. And is that because they're actually using momentum to run, run around and they don't actually have the strength to stand still. And again, that's you know, a combination of strength and then our sensory system that you know, is integrated with that. Nothing's in isolation. It's all, it's all you know, part of our overall system. Yeah. I, I love that idea of looking at yoga poses and seeing how long, because yeah, they can't even stand with one leg up and they just, they fall over anymore. I'm like, oh my gosh, and they're four or five, you know, so you know I know. I also find that with kids, very often, when we practice some of these basic skills initially, you'll get so much more out of them the rest of the time. You know, mm-hmm. when you start with some of these basic like warm-ups, like reminding them where their body is, you know, getting their muscles activated just a little bit at a time and using their muscles in small ways, then all of a sudden they're like their bodies wake up and remember like, oh yeah, that's what I'm supposed to use these muscles for. And then sure. often they have an easier time with the rest of the class. Sure. So there's one more thing that I've noticed an increase in, um, in my students and that's W sitting, which I see, I even see adults in my mommy and me classes sitting that, and it just hurts my knees. I'm like, I don't know. And my hips. I mean, I've done, I've put my hips and knees through everything being a ballet dancer, but that one position with their knees, it just pains me looking at it. Um, but I notice it so much especially in my three, four and five-year-old classes. Um, and I've shared about W sitting on my account and I always get the people, well, I've done that for years and I'm fine, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, but yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I don't think that's the best way to sit. So can we talk about that a little bit? Cause I know Absolutely. a bunch of dance teachers have I questions. Know. Every time that. I post about W sitting, that is always, I, I inevitably get at least five to 10. I always sat like that and I have no problems. <laughs> Um, and I actually, we did a post on crawling yesterday. I skipped crawling and I'm fine. I mean, Good. yes, there's always exceptions to the rules, but as, as a therapist, as professionals, we're never going to say, okay, you know what? Let's just hope you're the exception. I- I'm not, I'm never going to say that because we also know what the other side is, which is the majority of people who do come out having hip pain and knee pain. And we want to prevent that. Um, but we're really when we look at kids who are W sitting and you're right, there are so many W sitters out there. Um, there's really two reasons. One is could be in utero, the hip placement. 
and and just um and you might see this a little bit if you see more in towing sometimes it happens where the hips mm -hmm. are turned in so you're going to get that w position from from sitting so it could be that um we also find it very often with our weaker kids who have a weaker core and when they're sitting in that w position they now have a very wide base of support to give them so they don't have to use their core to sit up straight. They have that wide base of support, giving them all they need so they don't need to utilize their muscles. So we're seeing that all the time. Um, here's, here's the thing fundamentally is, it's very hard to fully eliminate W sitting until they're really old enough to be fully aware that they don't wanna do it. What we can always do is continue to remind them because I've worked with those kids, you say, you know, fix your feet or crisscross, they do it Im immediately and they're able to maintain it. And that's the best we can do for those kids. If they can maintain it and they have the strength to do it, it just happens to be their go-to position. We're just going to continue to remind them so that it's always on their mind. And eventually they're going to be old enough to self-correct on their own. Sure. What's really um, more difficult is the kids who can't maintain any other position other than a W position. That's really the most concerning because we could tell them to fix it all they want. If they can't maintain any other position, it's useless. Um, so there are always other positions that we can go to. We have like the long sit position where I'm putting my arm out, but it's really you know, for my leg, um, where you know the legs are straight out in front. Mm -hmm. That's the way a lot of our toddlers sit. So if we need to go back to, you know, regress back to a toddler sit position, a long sit is going to be better than that, that W sit. Um, if we can get them to side sit where both their um, legs are kind of to one side, people always ask, is that a W sit? It is not W sitting. You're not putting the same stress on the hip and knee joints at all. And actually a child is, or adult is really required to use those core muscles tremendously for a side sit. So if we can get side sitting, great. And ultimately also that crisscross applesauce or tailor position is the official term. Um, that is a great alternative too. But if a child can't maintain those positions, then it really, we need to be doing a lot of core strengthening work and a lot of um, hip work to really be able to help that child move out of that. And some of the things that I mentioned, like, um, like yoga are really good at strengthening that up and being able to sit up appropriately because that is a static position. A child needs all those postural muscles to be able to sit up straight. That's not in motion. That's just sitting. And that takes a lot of work for these kids. Yeah. Yeah. And if a child, let's say they haven't ever been corrected to not sit that way, because I think a lot of people don't know, you know, I mean, I'm aware of it being a dance teacher. Um, but I think a lot of people just don't know that some of these things aren't good. And they'll be like, Oh, look at how cute my kid is sitting and they're playing and all this stuff. And they're in that W and I'm just like, ah, get them out of that position. If it doesn't go corrected, will we see long-term effects from that in our kids when they are a little bit older? Um, I would definitely say, well, a few things to that. One is, again, we're always going to have those parents who say, I've always felt like that, no problem. Um, but I have spoken to many adults who did W sit and do have plenty of hip or low back pain. So let's avoid that if we can. I mean, there's no reason not to. The other thing that I also think is very important, aside from just the strength piece, which, again, when you don't have good core strength, that's going to trickle into a lot of other areas. So um, really, not only the long-term effects of the hip pain, the low back pain, the knee pain, which we want to avoid as adults, but as kids, um, you know, I go back to the school setting as the kids are going to get older. Um, they really need that core strength to do everything in school or, or as they're going to, you know, climbing. Um, I'm going to give a, a little personal story here that I think will actually help a little bit. 
um, I was taking a lifeguarding class. I was, I was a lifeguard over the summer for my kids' camp, whatever. <laughs> Side story, I did, that. I did that for the summer. I was a head lifeguard at my kids' camp and I had to get recertified because I hadn't been a lifeguard for many years. So I went to a lifeguarding course. And of course, I decided to take this lifeguarding course. Um, and right after that, I needed hernia surgery, umbilical hernia surgery. So, um, so I got this umbilical hernia surgery, took a week off of my lifeguarding course. And then the following week, I went right back in to my lifeguarding course, which I was with a bunch of other 15-year-olds. So I was really feeling great about myself. And anyway, my, my point of this is that I'm doing all these things. I'm actually a very good swimmer, I'm sure. And I was doing stuff and I'm like, my arms were so tired at the end of that, um, of, the, of the course of that day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm too old to be doing this. Like, I can't be a lifeguard. Like, I'm too old for this. Oh my God. And the next week I went back and, and my, my core had healed much better. And I was like, oh my gosh, my arms are not nearly, nearly as tired as they were last week. And I was like, like light bulb moment, even though this is stuff that I preach to everybody else and I tell everybody else, I had my own moment of feeling it. When my core muscles were not being used efficiently, the rest of my body was getting so tired. And that's what happens with our kids. If they don't have a strong core, the rest of their body is going to try hard to make up for that. And, if, mm -hmm. and, and we're really putting them at a disadvantage, or, or they're going to be at a disadvantage, whether we do it or not. They're at a disadvantage if they don't strengthen that core. Um, so I think that it's, it's really, you know, we're, we're for our kids as they get older and they need those core muscles to be climbing on the playground, to be playing tag with their friends, to pick up their heavy books, to be in a lifeguarding course, to all those things, they need a strong core. And if we don't try to help them fix that early, we're, we're going to see the effects of that. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, again, when we post on Instagram, it's hard to explain to all the, you know, those people in the comments, like, yeah, you might be fine, but there are these little things, these mini milestones, I should really say, that you might not even realize are difficult for your kids or were difficult for you as a kid that were all linked to that W sitting. It's not just about the hip and knee pain. Of course, we want to prevent that, but it's really about making our kids functional for the tasks that they need at this stage of their lives. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that, I think that's all really great information. And yeah, it's just so true as far as building their core and getting them stronger to sit upright. And I think I think it'll help with other things too, standing and all of that stuff because and falling down because um, having a strong core, how can they walk and stand and go from sitting to standing if they're not strong yeah, with those struggle with that. muscles they yeah really struggle with that and you know that's yeah. where we then start to see attention issues because they're so busy trying to use their body and make sure that they're doing and then their mind is so focused on that that they can't pay attention to what you're saying and, and um and we see that all the time i yeah. mean you know and and more and more in these otherwise typically developing children you know, and we're just seeing a lot of that. I know you had asked before, what could you incorporate in, you know, dance classes and things like mm -hmm. that to really help these kids? Um, I really think that sometimes these, especially these younger kids, when you're first getting your hands on them, you know, starting again, I said this before, starting with some of these basics, because you can't build off of them if the basics mm -hmm. and the foundation isn't there. You're, you're just playing catch up all the time. I think that's really important. 
I think what you actually said, getting in and out of positions all the time mm -hmm. is such a workout for these kids. We don't use it enough as just that's the method, standing up and sitting down and then turning around and then sitting down and then standing up and then sitting down and then turning this direction and that direction. That sure. takes a lot of work and spending some time with that as in your mind, the focus of the class will work on those skills for these kids sure. so much. You know, it's, it's a lot of getting in and out. Those kids that really struggle with strength or are low tone, they just like plop to the floor. They, you know, getting in and out of positions is so hard for them. So right. practicing those things is so important. Perfect. There's actually a song that we do. I do it in Mommy and Me. And I'm almost 40. So for me, and I've been dancing my whole life, like it's hard for me, but it's called Sit Up, Stand Down by Patty Shukla, I think. And that's all it is, is we sit up, we stand down, we turn around and we sit down, we get back up and Love we it. do it over and, and it gets faster and faster and faster. And it's hard for me, you know, and I've been dancing my whole life. I am getting older, but yeah, I'm like, oh my, and I have to warn all my parents, like, just so you guys know, we're going to be going up. But yeah, the little ones, they're about two in that class. They just kind of watch mom. Sometimes it's sort of funny. The moms are all doing it. Um, so maybe that's something that I should really try to push more, like practice this one at home. It's going to yeah. be really important for them. Or even and just also like for the three and four-year-olds, mm -hmm. you know, even yeah. adding that into those older classes, you know, not only are they doing the sitting up and the stand, you know, standing up, sitting down, sorry for that in reverse, but the speed, the timing, mm -hmm. those are things that they are learning to do, like how to keep up with the motion that's going on around them. How do you listen to the auditory? Like you're incorporating auditory processing with the physical output. That's right. work. And again, you're, you're seeing these kids not able to do some of these things. Go back to some of those things that you're putting in your two-year-old class and incorporate that into your three and four-year-old class. And you'll, I mean, I'm sure that many kids are going to struggle with it and they might even improve week to week because mm -hmm. they, now they're being given a tool to work on it. How are they going to get better if they aren't given those foundational ways to work through some of these challenges for them? Sure. Absolutely. I have one last question. And then I want to talk a little bit more about your course and how my listeners can sign up for that. Um, but you did mention earlier, like the hokey pokey and learning their right and their left. So personally for me as a dance teacher, I sort of, we do these things where we get, I have these jingle bell bracelets and I'll put a jingle bell on their right wrist and a jingle bell on their right ankle and we'll put it in. But sometimes, you know, they still want to put the other hand in if they like that hand better or whatever. And as a dance teacher, I have kids that are eight, nine, and 10. And I'll say, put your right, you know, left hand on the bar. And they look at me like I'm speaking another language. I'm like, other right foot, other right. And I have to say it like 10 times, your other yeah. right foot. So what age should a child know their right from their left? That's a really good question. And <laughs> offhand, I'm not even 100% sure I'm going to give you the right answer. Okay. I want to certainly say five-ish. Okay. They should be pretty good. I, I'm not 100% on that. So okay. all of your listeners, hopefully you're not going to judge <laughs> me on this sole question. Um, and that's okay. But what I have found, um, and to be honest, embarrassing but like every time my husband says make a right turn and I'm like that way and he's like no the other right turn um so I'm not always even per I mean I know my right and left but like in motion when you're doing other things you're like wait which right okay right um what I have found often is what you did with the bells but doing like a different color scarf 
on each hand. You know, if you can't focus on that, you know, a purple scarf on one hand and a yellow scarf on the right, put your right hand with the purple scarf, the left hand with the yellow, you know, saying the same thing over and over again in conjunction with another tool can really help these kids in, internalize it because they're practicing it. That motor pattern is being created over and over again with that auditory processing. So the more and more we practice it with another added um, component, I, I've taught this with um, stair climbing. I've done a reel on this where, you know, when you're alternating on the stairs, um, you know, putting different color stickers on their feet. So you say, okay, now the left foot, you know, now the yellow foot, now the red foot, whatever it is. Um, so I feel like sometimes combining it with a color and using the language is a really, really good method to, um, to help kids learn that. Sure. Yeah. Cause I find, especially with like my three-year-olds, I find myself as a teacher just saying, okay, we're going to lift one hand. Like, I don't even care what hand they lift up. I'll just say right. lift up the hand and now we're going to, you know, reach it across or whatever. But now it makes me wonder if I should really be more mindful and more, I just don't want to be, I don't want to take all of my class time saying, nope, other right, other left, other right, other left, you know, but I, I think that is really important just to learn their body hemispheres and where they are. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of get frustrated because again, a three-year-old may not know as well, but I think, I think it is that, um, and even our five-year-old audio, exactly. Even our yeah. five-year-old, you know, I'm thinking I have a daughter who's five. She does know which is her right hand, which is her left. But I, I'm wondering, like, even if she was in a dance class, if she was trying to follow the dance steps mm -hmm. and thinking about her right and left, that would be hard, you know? Sure. So I think sometimes adding in something that's a color or bells or something, uh, you know, bells on one hand, a scrunchie on the other, whatever it is, a rubber band, something. I think that that can really help you as a teacher get everybody in sync because you're just calling it a color. And by that age, they do know their colors or should. So um, right. I feel like that might be just, again, your, your goal is to really teach dance. You're not there to do the PT job, right? right. Like you're not trying to do it. Your parents are signing them up to just go have fun and learn dance. But right. you're dealing with the, a, lot of, a lot of the issues or the setbacks that we, we're the ones who usually treat that and you're just seeing that in their regular environment. Yeah, yeah, well, I think everything you shared, I wish I could have you here for like two hours because there's so much I could ask you about. Um, but I definitely want my listeners to know how to find you, where, you, where you're at. I wanna know, uh, I wanna let them know how they can sign up for your babies on the move because yeah. that was Wonderful. And if you have anything else coming up that they might be interested in. Thank you so much. So we, um, so our website is totsontarget.com. Mm -hmm. Our, it's called the infant course. That's our babies on the move course. It's right on the front and center of the, the homepage. So you can absolutely find it there. We are always looking for more people to come and join our community. It is a free community. So there's no um, paying for that. And um, we, we love having, even if you don't have a question yourself, but um, you want to offer tips, you want to help other parents, you want to share your own knowledge. Um, you know, you can post your podcast there. Anything that helps parents is what we want to make that platform for. So that's, um, you could find it on our main website, but it's also at community.totsontarget.com. So that's um, where that is. And of course, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is totsontarget. Um, we're just starting on TikTok. So we'll see how that goes. I'm learning that platform. Um, and we also have our, a few workshops coming up. Um, we have a rolling workshop coming up in the next few weeks. We're um, doing infant massage workshops. So we have a lot of stuff that's continuing to come out. Um, we are hoping to come out in the next few months with a full toddler activity guide. 
um, to actually help a lot of these things, balance, coordination, um, w sitting, low tone. We want to come out with activity guides that parents can buy and say, okay, this is the, these are the issues that I'm having. Here are the activities I can do home at home with my child to help these things. So all that is um, that's going to be coming out in the next few months as well. We're really excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. And I will be sure because I, I follow you guys. I have all the links. I will be sure to share them all uh, in the podcast description. And I'm going to pop on after this as well. And I'm on my Instagram and I'll share uh, some of your links and everything there as well. Thank but Thank this was, so much. yeah, this was amazing. I'm so happy we had the time to sit down and chat. I have so many other questions. So maybe we'll just have to invite you guys back. I'm happy time. to come back anytime, anytime. <laughs> sure. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> Yay. Well, you were very informative. Uh, I've learned a lot even about myself and some things that I'm going to try to do better as a dance teacher, which is always great to learn. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, uh, thank you so that. much. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this. <laughs> Yay, well, thank you. Um, thank you. And with that, we will end this podcast. And hopefully if you guys want to head on over to our Apple and Spotify and leave us a review, let us know any other guests you'd like us to have on the podcast, just let me know. And I'm Jessica with Dance to Learn and my guest, Allison from Tots on Target. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. The Dance to Learn podcast airs every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Leave a five-star review of the podcast and your review may be read on air for your chance to receive a $10 Amazon gift card. To be a guest on the podcast or for advertising inquiries, please email info at dancetolearn.co. Happy dancing!